I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Walker here. We're doing our roundtable discussion with Dr. Paul Meyer. Hey, Paul. How you doing, Kristen? I'm doing good. Melanie's sitting this one out tonight because it's a little hard when we have more than three, um, especially for the topic we're going to get into. We're going to be discussing a book that Dr. Meyer and Lisa Charlebois wrote called You Might Be a Narcissist If... <laughs> and Paul, I'm going to let you uh, talk about, um, you know, why you wrote this book. And uh, I think, you know, I, I'm reading in the in the byline here that you actually were on Oprah in 1993 to discuss another book you had written about narcissists called "Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You." <laughs> Um, and yeah. so that was sort of kind of led you into doing this book. You might be a narcissist. So share with our listeners, you know, how that came about and how you and Lisa decided to do this together. Okay. And, and Chris, I don't think you have any idea how this came up, came about. I don't think I ever told you this story. Mm-mm, I don't. But, um, it's new. Back, back, uh, back in that decade, there was a real popular funny book, uh, you know, that people read called you might be a redneck if. <laughs> You've heard of that? Have you heard oh, of that? Oh yeah, book? Jeff Foxworthy, might right? Might be a redneck gift. Oh yeah, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, you know, I I read that and then I heard a, a tape on it and some comedians and stuff, and it was just hilarious, you know, about uh, redneck jokes and stuff. And so I actually started out uh, for the fun of it, writing a joke book on narcissists. You might be a narcissist if you do this or if you do that, you know, um, and. Uh, so I started out just writing it more as a joke book than anything else. And then, and then I, I actually thought of uh, how a narcissist would, uh, would react in traffic and how a narcissist would react in a, uh, in a church and how a narcissist would react um, in, in a restaurant and uh, how a narcissist would react in various situations. Then it started becoming sort of semi serious and, and semi joke. And then, uh, and then I found out, uh, Lisa, you're going to have to remind me of how I found out you were, Lisa Charlebois was one of our therapists at the time, and she's still a friend and has been out on her own and is working on uh, 
nonprofits that that were that we introduced her to that we're familiar with. And but but anyway, uh, Lisa was was uh, treating people with narcissism, uh, or that were living with narcissists, you know, or, mm. or related, you know, to narcissists and things. So she was helping people recover from narcissists, but also helping people, the rare people who would actually admit that they had that, that wanted to work on it. And so she was working on a serious book. And then somehow we found out about each other. I mean, she worked at our clinic. I mean, so I knew her, but somehow we found out we were both working on a book, one, one a serious one and one a more or less of a joke book with some serious aspects of it. And then we got our heads together and, and uh, combined it. And maybe it was through your sister, maybe your sister, Nancy Brown, who was, you know, my boss. I mean, it, it might've been through there. Yeah, it was a, a while ago, but I think too, I think I maybe mentioned that to Nancy and then she mentioned you and then she said, well, just check yeah. it out with Paul and see if he wants to do it together. Yeah, I think that's right. Nancy, yeah, Nancy knew I was doing it. She found out about you doing it. She said, and, and I think she did get us together and say, you know, let's see if you want to combine them. And, and it was, it was. Uh, I'm glad we did because then it now it has a serious side to it and a few little uh, funny things in it. Still, and uh, anyway, that's and that was my that cell phone. Everyone, sorry, I have two now. Oh, that's right. And uh, you can edit that out, right? Horrible. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, we can. But uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. I've turned them both off. But um, but yeah, so you do what you do, Paul, you got together with someone else and you and you uh, put this book out. So what was the, you know, the reaction to it? And because at the time that you wrote it in psychiatric and counseling circles, of course, narcissism was known, but it wasn't known like it is today. <laughs> yeah, Lisa, why don't you share that? What happened? What was the reaction? Well, I mean, I, I, I just think that uh, we've gotten a huge response from the book. I mean, I personally get a lot of um, people from all over the country that read it and say, or they'll email me and kind of say like, oh my gosh, I just read the book and I realized that I'm a narcissist. And because I, you know, uh, Paul and I both talk about our own narcissistic parts, but I mean, I was a true narcissist and I uh, recovered from it. And I admit that um, in my, the first chapter is like the kind of the, my personal story. And so it takes away the shame for, for a lot of narcissists. So they literally email me or get my phone number offline and, and they call me and say, I need to come and see you or do phone consultations if it's, if they're across mm. the country and, um, I think that's been the, the best thing about the book is it's really decreased the shame because unfortunately there's a lot on the internet that confuses sociopaths with narcissists right. and stuff. So it makes narcissists who already have a lot of shame and have a hard time admitting things. It makes people really not want to admit that they're narcissists when um, they get confused with sociopaths you know, who, who literally... Right you know, have no empathy for people. Narcissists do have empathy for people. I've known lots of narcissists who have, you know, run children's agencies and foster care agencies. You know, narcissists just don't have empathy when they're getting blamed for something or want somebody wants them to take responsibility um, and they start to shame out so much. You know, that's when you really see the lack of empathy, but it doesn't mean they don't care about people or, you know, sad situations and, and stuff. So I, I just think it's really been a good thing to kind of clarify so many people 
you know, have said, oh, my gosh, my wife thought I was a sociopath. And then after she read your book, mm. she, like, stayed married to me because she realized that I could change because I'm really, really working on this. And, you know, so I really think it's been good to kind of differentiate between those two diagnoses. Yeah. Now, would you, know, you say? You know what? You know what, Kristen? When when I wrote Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You uh, back in 93, that's the one I was on uh, Oprah with, um, or one of the two books, That and Love is the Choice. But uh uh, when I wrote that, my intent, uh, a big part of my intent was to help people accept their own uh, narcissism in, in, in that book as well. But if, if you if you write a book on uh, are you a jerk, you know, nobody's going to buy it you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. or, or, or things like that. So I called I called it Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You because everybody wants to you know read about how to protect us. And, and so the, right. the whole first half of that book was about you know, how to protect yourself from jerks. But then as I went deeper and deeper into the book, it got more and more into how to recognize it in yourself. And, and, mm, and I right. would share turkey things I had done. And uh, so that they're, uh, you know, less uh, ashamed to admit it. And we did the, we sort of did the same thing in the, in the, uh, you might be a narcissist if um, book. We, you know, you, right. you know, starting out on how to protect yourself from narcissists and things, but then, uh, recognizing that we all have some of those traits. It doesn't mean you're, you're either, you either you're a narcissist or you aren't a narcissist. It's not quite like that. You know, we all have some. Um, it's a continuum. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a continuum. Yeah. Well, there's still, you know, there's so many different beliefs out there, even amongst therapists. There's one that I swear she is, has, narcissism to the level of it being a full-blown personality disorder and yet all she does is talk about how horrible narcissists are <laughs> there's a lot of those out there but uh you know her call it reaction formation yeah call it reaction formation you know <laughs> kristen you and i have talked about the 40 ways we lie to ourselves yes and that's one of them like, like preachers who have a big problem with lust you know nine out of ten sermons are on are on lust right and, and if they have a problem with alcoholism they go around crusading against alcoholism. So that's reaction. Interesting. <laughs> well, there's another one out there too, a male that's also a therapist that is the worst oh, I've ever had to deal with. And we get so many listeners that call us and say, oh, he was my therapist and I'm more wounded working with him and traumatized because of, you know, the two, I think you are. Yes. I've talked to people and they say the guy is like really a serious sociopath. I mean, oh. and he has done so much damage to people, yeah. like seriously injured them. And I mean, it's really, really sick. <laughs> it's really, yes, really sick. And yet he touts himself as the, you know, the world leading expert on narcissistic personality. Yeah. Disorder. And he needs to save everybody yeah. from, yeah. 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 And I'm like, Oh, so is this somebody, is this somebody whose name we can mention or not? No, God, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no, no. Right? We'll for everything we have. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Tell me later because I'm not sure. We'll tell really you later. Fun. Yes, we'll tell you all. Okay. <laughs> but right. you know, but but you know, both of these particular people, as well as some others, say zero percent of narcissism is okay. And if you have any narcissism in you, you're evil. And I don't. Yeah, you know. they're so shaming. <laughs> yes, and the, of course, the ones that say that the most are the ones that are these ones that absolutely could right. fit. The of you know being right. a personality disorder with themselves so right. they did not like like craig melkin's work they would not like any of the stuff that you guys have written where you know you you talk about how you know they 
some narcissists do come in for treatment. But in terms of the spectrum, you know, Lisa, you talk about your own experience being one. Were you, you know, did you, did you put yourself in the classification of it being a full-blown personality disorder or you were just someone that was, that was extremely narcissistic? Um, to tell you the truth, I, I really, I really was character disordered. I mean, like if I told you how long, how many years of therapy it took me to um, mm. change my character, it would, it would scare the listeners. I don't want to scare people about gotcha. therapy because right. I've told some clients that they're just like, Oh my gosh, I just need to leave now. You know? <laughs> and then I'm like, no, hang in there. I'm like, hopefully you won't be as bad as I was and you'll, you know, take less time and you know, that kind of stuff. But I truly was, I just was a how many, Lisa, I'm about in, how many years did it take you? Come on, be humble and admit it. Okay, it took 11 years of therapy. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's better for people to, you know, to know this, but what, what was it that you'd say, um, you know, contributed to this? Uh, well, and, and to me, you. you know, what, what really, like I was a covert narcissist, so people didn't know, like I had really good social skills, um, about like, I wasn't going to say grandiose things, but like in my head, you know, being a therapist, like I was in a, um, I worked at a nonprofit and I, you know, clearly believed I was like the best therapist, um, in the place. And I was always kind of like vying, um, so that my like supervisors on the psychiatrist that I worked with, um, like I, you know, write the best reports and just get just all this feedback. And it was just my sense of self was very much dependent upon my performance. Um, mm. But if I ever got any um, negative feedback, um, I remember one time my supervisor said to me, like, Lisa, I just want you to work on, you know, being a little more open minded um, in our clinical consultation meetings because you're coming across like so, so confident that you're kind of sounding as if like your way is kind of the only way. And I think it makes it a little intimidating for, you know, other people to bring up their positions. And I remember just like the shame about ever feeling like I was making any mistakes. It would just undo me. Like I, the thing people don't know about narcissists is they don't show that to someone else. My boss, he didn't know that he had that impact yeah. on me. I was like, okay. And then you just shame out for days and days and days. And that's what I try to tell people when they're married to narcissists or they, you know, have it in, in their family members. It's like narcissists go through a lot of personal hell inside. They just don't feel like it's safe enough to be vulnerable and to admit that to other people. But that's really the markers. You know, some people can be like very self-confident and they're not narcissists. Narcissists are narcissists because they struggle with shame if they make the slightest mistake. Um, they just completely you know, kind of fall apart, like inside themselves, because their sense of self is uh, not very solid at all. And their performance is, you know, their sense of self is very much built on their performance. And that's where things fall apart. And that's where you hear spouses, you know, say, I'm so exhausted, I just can't give him any feedback, or he just makes it, you know, he goes, Oh, well, I'm the worst husband in the world. And so I'll tell wives, oh, yes, I, I used to do that to my husband. And I go, my husband finally made a little song like, me, 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 like you're making it about you again. <laughs> this is like, oh, no. dear. And I'd be like, oh, crap, I am. Sorry, sorry, I am. I, you know, eventually I was able to like, you know, like see that and get confronted and then kind of be like, okay, 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 now I'm listening. It's back about you. Um, but, but so much of it is really, really about 
about shame and and you just literally can't hear kind of any negative feedback at all without really spiraling out you know inside yourself and i think that's the part that really makes like the character you know um disorder diagnosis because then gotcha yeah yeah i used yeah. to sing that i used to sing that song <laughs> i used to sing that song around my wife sometimes you know me, 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 I'm in love with me, 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 what else but me, me, me. <laughs> That's like, right. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting, too, because, you know, you, you're you saying that some listeners are going to hear this and just, you know, they're at varying degrees of trauma of right. at the hands of whoever in their life is narcissistic right. and um you know and they just don't believe it and there's so many there's so much information about out there about just stop all contact with that person and give up right. and save yourself and and right. some of that is true some of it you do have to you you know you do true. have to do that so how right. have you walked that line you know with people and with the rare few that will come in and get therapy and say well, I, am I can one. tell you too that i know that the clients that I work with, like, they're willing to hang in there with narcissists if they see at times a glimmer, you know, at times they'll hear their spouse, you know, or somebody, you know, totally bottoming out. And then they'll see like, okay, this person's self-esteem is not all that, you know, it actually helps spouses when, when they're not the narcissist, when I empower them and say, do you realize you are so important in your spouse's life? They actually gather, they're gaining their sense of self from your sense of self. And that's why if you're ever upset with them, they completely tank out because they're, they're relying on your sense of self for them to be okay. And once I explain to them, like, you have so much more power in this relationship than you, you realize. Think. And then I yeah. teach them how to talk to the narcissist, you know, and to, to do so much of what my husband would do with me is he would say like, Hey, Lisa, I need to give you some feedback. And I don't want you to go to like, I'm the worst wife, or I'm all bad. Um, I'm just gonna, you know, there's like a zillion things I love about you. I just, you know, need to give you feedback. Okay, so I'm just gonna say one thing. It doesn't mean you're all bad. So don't go there. And I'd be like, okay, okay. And then, you know, he'd say like, okay, you were selfish in this circumstance. And, and that's what I really teach people to do. And, and that and I teach them to, you know, if they see the spouse start to spiral out to say, okay, whatever's happening inside your head is your issue. I'm not saying it. And now you're projecting that onto me and you're thinking I'm accusing you of things, but I'm not. And you need to go get help to like, you know, fix, fix that because I'm not shaming you. And it's amazing how a narcissist will start to feel safer. Like with my husband, I could really see like, wow, he's, he, cause he, you know, I would say, what, you're not, you're not saying that, you know, I'm, a st I'm stupid, you know, and he'd say, no, let me repeat exactly what I said. And if he mm. stayed calm, he would like repeat it. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, intellectually, I could see he's right. He's saying it just like he said it the first time. And then I would be like, how in my head did I twist Turn it? it into and really, you know, it's called interject so that you've taken in from other people in your life that shamed you. And that's really what's, you know, getting played out in your had really like a post-traumatic stress kind of um, reaction where the past is playing in the present and you're projecting it right onto that, you know, same person uh, or the person that's right in front of you instead of um, being able to like see the reality. And once I explain things to spouses, a lot of times they can see, you know, if, if as long as there's redeeming things to the relationship, you know, the people 
you know, a lot of times they're like, you know what? They're like, I'm so glad you're saying this because I've always like loved my husband and I, I've always saw, seen like good things in them, but like other people will be like, why are you not leaving this person? And it's hard to explain to people like there's really a good person in there, but he had a really bad childhood and he doesn't trust people. And I know he looks like a recluse or, you know, unsociable or, you know, has terrible social skills or whatever, you know, but, but he really, there's some good things in there, you know, and so I, I think it depends. And, and again, you know, not to mix up, you know, sociopaths who don't have empathy. Sociopaths, they gain pleasure when they're inflicting emotional or physical pain on someone. Narcissists mm -hmm. feel extreme shame if they cause the slightest mistake and hurt someone. They, it's not like that they lack empathy. They just, they can't admit it to the person because they feel like, no, no, I didn't. But it's really because of that sense of panic on the inside that's making them not be able to admit it. So yeah, it really depends on how, you know, unsafe people feel, but I'm telling you, I see doozies because mm -hmm. especially after writing the book, you know, everyone's like, Hey, you know, go see Lisa Charlotte. <laughs> she wrote the book right. and stuff. So I'm like, Oh, wow, this is really a test of like every last skill that, that I have. And, um, but you know, the, the thing I do tell spouses is it does take time. And like, I know my therapist could see the changes way before my husband could. And that's mm -hmm. the hard part. So a lot of times I'll see like both the husband and the wife, and then I'll be able to interpret for the wife, like, you know, the husband's behavior and like what's kind of changing. And, you know, and then a lot of times that kind of helps give them enough encouragement to kind of hang in there. Cause sometimes they can't always see the changes for some time. Or they're so triggered and all these, you know, been projected upon and all these things. Right. And I teach them how to set a lot of limits. Like I, I teach yeah. them how to set, you know, firm limits like, wait, 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 no, 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 wait, you can't do that to me. Wait, that, that is not, you're actually, what, what you're saying is more true of you than it is of me. So you, you have to stop. So I, you know, you, they can only do it if a narcissist will respond to right. some limits. You know, if they're not going to respond to any limits, then might as well get out, you know? Well, that's what I hear from so many listeners is um, that they, the worst thing they ever did was bring their narcissistic partner, family member, spot, whatever to therapy, because then the narcissist, uh, you know, was so charming covertly or overtly that they end up right. getting the therapist on their side. And then right. those right. gang up on the, on the other person. I've heard that. I've totally heard that. Exactly. I've totally heard that. And that would be terrible. I mean, that would be that. That's why a lot of people have come to me too. Cause they're, they're like, I know, you know, this from the inside out right. and you're going to catch it. Um, but I mean, therapists should be able to catch, you know, if somebody's not taking any responsibility for their behavior and they're making everything about their spouse, even if they're saying it in a very charming way, um, that should be a red flag. Like, I don't know why people really get so caught up in people's charm because that to me seems pretty obvious, but I don't know, maybe it's just because I, I've known a lot of narcissists in my life. So maybe I'm just, yeah. you know, you're, you're to me, I'm just like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm like, that is just a bunch of crap. Like that's just, you know, you're just kind of <laughs> making the charm. person like all bad. And like, that's just not possible. I, 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 you know, therapists are always listening for like who in the couple is able to take responsibility and admit their flaws. That's the healthier person in the couple. You know, if somebody can't do that and they're just blaming, that's the unhealthy person in the couple. So Interesting. Well, I've met a few, believe me, I've, I've grew up in a family with this, you know, running rampant. And 
I mean, some are just Academy Award winning actors. I mean, right, they right. can sit and sound like the most evolved. That's true. I, I admit these problems and, and they sound so good. And then later on you find out, oh, no, there, there are some serious emotional daggers going on constantly to their family members and whatever um, that, that you don't the outside world never sees, including the therapist. Um, you know what? You're exactly right, though. That's why when I, when I do see someone that's like that, um, I actually say, okay, now can I just bring your spouse in? And um, I just need to, like, double check with them to see. Um, and the spouse comes in and does something completely different. And then I just say, like, okay, thanks. I just needed you to come to one session. Now I know because, you know, the person comes to me and says, um, my spouse, like, sent me here because they think I'm a narcissist. But, of course, I'm not a narcissist. And they explain to me all the ways how they're so not a narcissist. And then I just have the other person come in and then they explain it. And then I'm like, okay, thanks. That's good. And then I keep working with the person, but you're right. From there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh boy. It must be painful then for you, you know, having overcome this a, to have anyone, you know, or have some people just not believe it because there are people so entrenched in believing that it is a lifelong thing that cannot be, um, you know, you cannot evolve from. There's people that certainly believe that. And then also um, to, you know, to really try to be a champion for the people that do really want help for this, which is like Paul kind of joked about in the beginning is rare. Not a lot of narcissists (laughs) come to therapy. Yeah, really helps. Like when they get the shame decreased, you know, and again, I I just know it's because our book, you know, Paul and I both talk about our own narcissism in the book. And that's why they call, you know, when they get, you know, referred to as like a sociopath or somebody that can never change, they don't want to come to therapy because they're scared to death that they can't change. That's their Uh deepest fear. That's your deepest fear as a narcissist is that you are permanently screwed up and you are going that that the world's going to find that out and it's bad enough if your spouse finds it out you certainly don't want it to become public knowledge because you're so ashamed and then the more that message gets out there that there's no hope and no help you know the more resistant and you know people get to to getting help but i mean i i've I've seriously helped some very very severe narcissists it's like it's like what we put in the book you know if somebody wants to get help it's like amazing the changes that they can make. It might take time, but if somebody wants to get help, they can definitely change. But if somebody doesn't want to get help, yeah, then it's like, okay, so what do you do? I have a statement and a question. Uh, <laughs> it seems like it seems like the narcissists that I've treated who actually have changed, and, and you know, like like we were saying, you know, that most narcissists just get at you for even hinting that they might be one. I had one that threatened to sue me when I, <laughs> I gave her. She was an extreme, you know, a real wealthy lady that was right. having an. She was having an affair with a, a golf pro and all sorts of stuff going mm-hmm. on in her life. And, right. And uh, so rather than tell her she was a narcissist because I knew she'd quit seeing me, I, I, I did psychological testing on her and got got the. Uh, you know, and the MCI and things like that. And and so then when the test came back, I said, well, according to this test, uh, you came <laughs> out in the 99th percentile for for narcissism. You know, what, what do you, what do you, uh, why do you think this test came out that way? And uh, and she just got, she got really mad at me and threatened to sue me and never came back and, and all that. But 
Uh, most don't, but the the ones that do, it seems like uh, it's because they're so. Uh, my uh, here's my statement: is that it seems like. Then I got a question. That it seems like they they come when they come because they're so extremely depressed and suicidal, because the life of narcissism doesn't bring joy. No. You know, when you're right. taking advantage right. of other people and all that. It, it, you know, it, it brings misery because uh, only I, I believe the only way you can really have joy in life is to love and be loved uh, genuinely. And, exactly. And so when, when I point out to them, you know what the the, the uh, you know you're, the lifestyle that you're living is a uh, is only going to bring you misery. And the most selfish thing I tell them this I say the most selfish thing you can do in a good way, you know, if if you want to be selfish and do what's best for you, it'll be to give up your narcissism. And and right. and, uh, and right. learn how and learn how to yeah learn how to give it up learn how to live more for others and for God and and because that's what brings really joy in life and they they think oh you know I, I guess I could be selfish in that way couldn't I you know <laughs> but absolutely but my, my question is my question is Lisa in your own life um, what what brought you to uh, a decision that yeah that's what I that's what I am. That's what I've been doing, and it's not, you know, and, and where you decided, at what point did you decide this is something I don't want, and, I, and I'm going to do work my hardest to try to overcome it? What, what, yeah, what so um, it was, it was uh, um, after the first year of my marriage when my husband came to me and said, you know, that uh, he had realized that in our first year of marriage, like I had never apologized one time to him for anything. And so intellectually, I was in graduate school, you know, to become a therapist. And I was like, "Uh Oh, that doesn't sound healthy. And so I kind of made a vow, like, I'm going to start apologizing and taking responsibility for my behavior. And then I found I was completely unable to do it. I, the shame and the like, if I didn't just twist it around and project it back on him and blame him. Like I literally could not, I almost felt like suicidal. Like I just didn't want to, like, I just couldn't bear. Um, and I, and because I was like in graduate school, I was like, wow, there, I am psychologically like seriously messed up. <laughs> this is like literally like a, an, an issue. So as I made a promise to my husband, um, because, you know, he's Christian and I was like, okay, this guy is just, he's one of these, you know, salt of the earth people. I was like, you know, he just was hanging in there and loyal. And I was like, I did not marry him to torture him. And I was torturing him. I could just see the, the deer in the headlights look. He was traumatized. He was utterly like in shock. He had no idea what the heck was coming out of my mouth. He was just in the, and I was like, this poor guy, I did not marry him to torture him. I just can't do this to him. So I made a, a vow to him that I would start therapy and that I would stay in it until he and the therapist both agreed that I was finished. And it took 11 years before I got uh, well enough. But, um, I, you know, what you were saying, Paul, is what my therapist, there's times when I would say like, okay, am I done? Because, you know, just trying mm -hmm. to depend on a therapist, trying to have any emotional neediness was just it's so anxiety producing to me. And she would say, well, let me ask you, like, how much joy do you have in your life? How much peace do you have in your life? How much genuine happiness do you have? And I'd be like, what? Like, I don't even know what those mean. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what I have is anxiety, anger, or numbness. And in my numbness, that's where I'd get really grandiose in my head. And then I could see like, this is like a defense mechanism. I'm like, who just has anxiety, anger, 
and numbness. I was like, no, because I knew I wanted to be a parent someday. And I was like, I want a child to attach to like my heart. I'm like, I don't even know my heart. I can't feel my heart. I had made a vow when I was 14 that I would never cry again. And uh, that would be the last day I cried. And when I made that vow, it was, I just literally kind of went into this narcissistic world inside myself and where I was never going to be vulnerable again. And I was never going to be needy again. And I was never going to, you know, have unmet dependency needs and, and stuff. So I just kind of went into my own world. And, but like you said, Paul, there is no joy. There's no, so narcissists are pretty unhappy people. And if you can offer them more, you know, and for me, I I just couldn't bear watching my husband suffer and then um and knowing that there's nothing I could do to change it like I literally could not change my own behavior I could even you know I was in graduate school I'm learning all these things but I could not I was like I need some serious help like I'm literally going to need so luckily I got somebody who I had heard from somebody else she was um somebody else's one of my friends clinical supervisors who had had years and years of experience because I knew I was going to need somebody like really good because I was so good at convincing people that I was fine and I was totally dissociated but I looked like I had a lot of feelings and you know I talk about in the book when I was 15 I saw a therapist and he dismissed me after like six sessions and said you are so together you know you are in good shape you do not need therapy and I'm like oh my god I felt so sad because he just bought my false self that I was creating to just keep the world away you know and but it really is a lot of loneliness i got i got i got another quickie here Uh, just a real just a real quick one here is that most narcissists if they do go to therapy at all uh they they look for a therapist that that'll tell them what they want to hear because they they go to therapy not to uh, work on themselves they go therapy to learn better ways to figure out what's wrong with the other people so they can manipulate them so uh how did you humble yourself enough to to be able to listen to confrontation by your by your therapist because that's almost well, miraculous see that's what's interesting that's one thing that a lot of times people don't understand is that like um people lack empathy um because they weren't given enough empathy so a lot of the therapy is giving appropriate empathy for legitimate wounds you know like not not but but because i could like share my childhood wounds and get empathy for that then if i shared with her you know something some narcissistic thing i did in my current life like we could kind of like almost joke together of like yeah that wasn't so great you know <laughs> that was just not like i need to she's like yeah so you're gonna work on that and i'm like yeah that's what i but it's like because i had like internalized like love and grace and like the true like acceptance for my good and my bad I could finally resolve that I had both good and bad and that's something that I never had known before I didn't know that people could have both good and bad in my experience it was that you know you were either good or bad and um so that's that's really the key. And I see with narcissists, you know, a lot of times they'll come in because, you know, somebody just left them. And um, a lot of times, you know, I help them, you know, in the pain that they're in. But as time goes on, you can help them see like where they went wrong in the relationship. As long as you're staying kind of empathically connected, um, 
and it feels like a real safe environment, then they can start to explore, you know, what they've done wrong as well. And that's what's, what's hard is, you know, some narcissists, they don't get it until they're like second or third marriages. And, um, my mom was character disordered and I watched her get married five times. And I think that was good for me because it showed me, like, I was like, I'm not doing that. I am not, I'm getting married for, for life and I'm not going to torture my husband's the way she tortured hers. <laughs> Just that's a goal. I didn't know how to not torture him, but I, that was my goal was like, if I have to go get help to, well, and part of it was just my own pride about like, I'm going to be a freaking therapist and I'm this big of a mess. This just can't be like, what a joke this is. Like I need to either go into another line of, of, of business or get myself help because like, if I can't even do this myself, how am I going to teach other people how to do it? I literally was, I just knew I'm like, I'm going to get overexposed. I'm going to, I can't become a therapist. I can't like teach people when I just obviously don't know how to, how to even do this stuff. Right. That makes absolute, that makes absolute sense. It, and it, you know, it demystifies this or, or makes it, you know, not as black and white as what gets put out there in so many places. I know me at, at times on my journey of getting well from being on the receiving end of, you know, that kind of behavior, I needed to be angry and hate and be oh, upset. Of course. It's of course. All of these things. And, and if someone ever, uh, you know, they'd point a finger at, at someone because um, you're so triggered, you know, you think, oh, there's a sociopath right. on every corner or there's a narcissist on every corner or there's right. like, right. you go through those different stages. Uh, until it probably you, is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. There yeah, probably is. But it's like you, you know, you go through your own part of it. And then for me, it was, okay, so narcissism is not a dirty word. It's a part of being a human being. I have some narcissistic traits also that definitely need work. How could I not in what I was raised in? Exactly. <laughs> That's your example. But um, exactly. but it, do- it doesn't have to be a life sentence. You can absolutely, if you, you know, that's my thing is I always would go to therapy. I've been going to therapy in, you know, off and on since I was 12. So. Right. Um, which is, which is great. And that's yeah. the, that, that's the, the thing. And that's what I think that's, you know, it's such a great thing. Cause you know, if you kind of, you know, get trained where you're not supposed to be needy and you're not supposed to depend on people, right. it can be very um, threatening to stay in therapy because you end up needing and depending. And my therapist just always yeah. just would yeah. confront me about like, Lisa, you're, cause I'd be like, am I done yet? Am I done yet? Cause that was the rule. You know, they, she and my husband both had to say I, I was done and I, I didn't even know what was going on. You know, I was, I just didn't have a lot of insight and I'd be like, am I done? Am I done? And she'd say like, what, what's going on for you about, you know, about your fears with depending on me. And I would be like, yeah, I'm just going to have so much anxiety. Like, I feel like I can't breathe. Just when you say the word like dependency, I'm like, that was like such a bad word in my family. Like I made that vow when I was 14 that I was never going to depend mm-hmm. on anyone again because it was just utterly painful. And, and, but that's really what it's about is learning healthy dependence and, and, and healthy empathy. And then you, you love others as you love yourself. And when you really have a lot of self-hatred inside, 
that really kind of comes out on other people as well, where you see people that have been well-loved, they have a lot of capacity to love others well as well. Mm. So would you say your mission now is is still, you know, to do this work and education uh, towards helping people that will come in and get therapy <laughs> that um, have been yes, diagnosed? Yes, them and then anybody that, you know, um, that's connected at all, you know, to narcissists. I, I so get the injuries from the inside out because I've been, you know, injured by a lot of narcissism. And, um, and so um, it's really both. It's like anyone who's, who's being injured by a narcissist, and I really teach them how to work with them well. And that's why my clients kept insisting that I write a book. And they, I kept going like, I have three kids, I can't write a book. And they're like, no, Lisa, write down what you just the advice that you just gave me today, mm-hmm. write that down, because that is nowhere on the internet, no one's ever saying this. So they make me promise that I just write it down, write it down, write it down. And, and then all of a sudden, I was, they would say, like, I don't know why you're so good at this. And I'm like, Oh, it's I was good at it because that's what worked with me. It was like anything mm. that that my husband had learned to do and my therapist did with me that healed my own narcissism. So I really understand, you know, how to work with a narcissist in ways that aren't going to trigger their shame or defensiveness, um, but that's going to kind of motivate them the most to do the the right thing and the work, you know, if that's possible, if that if the person's at all workable, you know. Right. Or wants to be workable. So what do you, you know, there's so much out there and you know who, you know, the, some of the people I was alluding to that shall remain nameless except off the air. But, um, you know, are you frustrated at what you see that goes on out there, especially now that this is the hot topic of, you know, of the day? It's so known now. Is it frustrating for you to see the misinformation that gets put out there? It really is. And the thing is, is the whole time I was writing the, the book, um, cause I, um, I, I wasn't looking at anything on the internet. So my clients would tell me things, but like I, I didn't want to read anything cause I was afraid I was going to accidentally borrow someone's, someone's idea. So I literally never started looking at any of it until after the book was complete. And it's just shocking to me. I'm like, well, you know what's embarrassing is because I would tell my like neighbors, people that don't know me like all that well, but you know, kind of more acquaintances. And I would say like, yeah, I wrote this because uh, I co-authored this because like I was a narcissist. Well, they thought I was saying I was a sociopath and they were like, they'd like back away from me. Like I had no idea. You seem so compassionate. And so like I didn't, and I'd be like, well, narcissists do have empathy for people. Like all, I did not know that I was going around telling everyone, you know, that in their minds they're thinking I'm saying I was a sociopath and they're just like, Oh my gosh. You know? So that, that to me is just, it's, it's confusing. And it's also sad because again, when people with narcissism, when we struggle with so much shame anyway, um, and fears that we're not going to be loved and accepted, like that's the whole thing behind it. You know, then to, when you just see all the, the hopelessness and all the attack, and like you said, there's a lot of narcissistic attacks and even sometimes sociopathic attacks. You yes. know, I just feel like it's just not helping anyone. You know, it's really, it's really not, you know, and a lot of people have, you know, told me like, oh my gosh, my spouse, you know, was ready to give up on me until they found your book because, you know, nine other things they read just said the most awful things. And 
Um, and some of these people had come from narcissistic families and they had worked out healthy enough relationships with their narcissistic parents. You know, they learned if they, you know, set certain limits, it, it would be kind of okay. And so they were like, I didn't want to give up on my spouse because I've, you know, it's kind of worked out kind of okay, but I definitely needed more help. And I was just looking for help. I wasn't looking for someone to say, just get out, you know? Right. Right. Cause that isn't always the answer. Sometimes it is. Sometimes, it's and sometimes it is. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's, you know, I've definitely seen and think about this myself. Um, you know, okay. Definitely need a healthy break for myself to right. heal. And maybe right. I'll, I'll have a relationship with this family member again when I right. have, you know, right. worked on my healing, but, uh, but until that time, Right. Um, sometimes you have to save yourself first because again you yeah. have to love others as you love yourself and sometimes you just can't like when we're when we get too traumatized yeah. then we're not we just have to like stop and you know yeah get some help and healing ourselves before we can and maybe you can have a relationship with that person right again. but boys is it come from a much more well boundary place right exactly <laughs> exactly well, Paul, you're being awfully quiet. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of stuff like Lisa uh, uh, and, and Kristen, I'm thinking, you know, this is really, uh, we've had a lot of really good shows on, uh, on narcissism and in men and women and different aspects of it. But I, I think this is a unique uh, opportunity for, for us and for people listening to, to hear somebody that's been one um right uh, talking about absolutely and Lisa, what you know because what you, you just don't there aren't that many that have been one that are willing to talk about it you know for one thing <laughs> yeah. especially that that become therapists and all that but but lisa what do you think are are some of the main causes of narcissism i mean i, I feel like we're, we're we're sort of born that way you know i, I mean my here now you, if you disagree with my with my thinking on this go ahead and correct me because i'm uh, I think I'm humble enough to accept constructive criticism, <laughs> but but it seems like it seems to me like we're we're born narcissistic in in the sense that right. I mean you know child thinks right. he is the whole world you know and the whole world revolves around him. He's 18 months before he figures out his mom's not just an extension of himself and and in uh, in but through love and discipline, uh, most of us overcome most of our narcissism by you know having parents that give us limits and also give us love and affection but what 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 do you think are what what do you think caused it in you and and, and what do you think are, are there just a whole bunch of causes or is there one or I two think, or yeah. three are, i think there's mainly two, two causes and um i think that the causes oh, are, are that you know people are either um neglected so it's kind of like an attachment wound to not feeling um seen and valued. I think there's, you know, people do need to feel like they're like a gift from God to their parents in a, in a healthy, special way. Um, so, so it can happen when there aren't, when feelings aren't allowed, when feelings get shamed, when vulnerability gets shamed, and when people like they don't get parented enough, but they're just expected to know things and they get shamed if they don't know things. I think that's, that's one cause. And the other cause is when people just don't have any limits set on them. But in that case, they're being over idealized by right? usually like Everything narcissistic, 
parents' right. And yet, too, as soon as they hit like 18 or adulthood, they feel massively anxious and inadequate because they are, you know, they weren't parented. They were just told they were great and they really don't have the the appropriate skill level that, and some part of them knows that, and they're highly, highly anxious and performance-based because, you know, they could play football or they were the star of this in their family, and, you know, they could, you know, crash a car drunk driving, and they had, you know, the parents just covered it up and said, oh, but he's the best, he's the best, you know. Well, then, you know, they all of a sudden get married, and they have a spouse that's, like, pointing out their weaknesses, and they're just like, oh, no, you know, like their whole world comes crashing in because it's yeah. not reality, you know. So I think in both cases, both both of those cause an extreme amount of shame about feeling deeply inadequate, um, and, and, and in our culture, you know, in our culture, in our culture, do you think there's, uh, I mean, do you think there's a lot more, I, I believe there is a lot more narcissism in today's culture than there was 40 or 50 years ago, because there's a lot more parents that, uh, that do, um, you know, that just uh, always, that, that do spoil their kids and think and treat the kids like the world revolves around them. And, and uh, if they are on a team, you know, everybody's got to get a trophy, not the one who won, you know, but the one who comes in last needs to be, uh, get a trophy too. And, and, right. Um, and, and, and really that can breed like inadequacy media. and insecurity. Yeah. I mean, really then kids, you know, I remember my own kids would when say like, why did we all get a trophy? Like I didn't deserve a trophy. You know, <laughs> it just, yeah. I mean, it makes kids feel anxious when they get stuff that they don't really deserve. Um, then it's, you know, they hit yeah, the, real all that world, be, the whole world, the world doesn't treat them like that. Right. Then it all falls apart. You know, then it just completely, you know, completely falls apart. And, um, and then they just don't have the foundation or the healthy sense of self to, you know, um, make it through the world. Cause so much of the world is like, when we grow up, we need to learn how to not just how to win, but we need to learn how to fail. We need to learn how to lose the game, not just win the game, but how to lose and, you know, and how to apologize and how to, you know, make mistakes. And that's so much of what's going to get us through our adult life. And if that stuff's not taught, you know, I think we we can learn. I think we can learn a lot more from our failures than from our successes. uh, Right. That's what my husband has always said, because he would always say that if I failed anything, like I would just like, just spiral out and he'd be like, honey, I've made more mistakes than, you know, and I, I, this is what I've learned from it. I mean, he would, it took me a long time before I really got like what he meant by that. But I I absolutely think that that's true. And that's a lot of character building um, stuff that, you know, just seemed like, it was like he was from Mars when he used to say that to me. And now I totally, totally get that. That's, it's very, very 50 true. Years ago, 50 years ago, people wanted uh, equal opportunity. They wanted to grow up and they have equal opportunity to succeed. And now the narcissistic aspects of, and there's good people in today's generation too. I'm not saying they're all that way, but there's a higher percentage, but the narcissistic people in our generation today, they don't want equal opportunity to succeed. They want equal results, whether they succeed or not. They they want the same rewards as everybody else gets, you know, so. Right. Yeah, this is really good. Um, thank you so much for doing this because uh, 
you know, the more I've studied this so intensely to help me understand my family. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and there's so many pieces of it that you talk about that is the wound of a narcissist. Well, that's also uh, shared wounds with extremely codependent and narcissists obviously are codependent as well, but people that wouldn't be uh, considered, you know, having a personality disorder, right. um, but they're, uh, but they have similar wounds. And I've, we've always said an empath, a highly empathic person and a narcissist are two sides of the same coin. Um, uh, doing well, a, dance a lot of times do narcissists get drawn to people who have a lot of empathy because yeah. that's what they kind of borrow their, their sense of self from and they yep. get, you know, attracted to, uh, but that's also usually a good sign that the narcissist wants more attachment in their life. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise people will just tend to pick some really checked out person too, if they want to just stay completely checked out. So that can actually be, you know, Kind of yeah. a good thing, but yeah, you just have to like really help the empathic person because they get really burnt out. So I really have to help them oh, yeah. like set limits and really, you know, burnout really central. take care of themselves for many years. Yeah, yeah, but right. is what I is what I went through. But you know what's interesting too is okay. So um, I've said this, and you know, you can tell me if you think it's hogwash, but uh, it's just been from my own learning about this. I've thought, okay, well, some of the the narcissist that I've had in my life, um, I'd say the ones that there was an initial one that really opened my eyes to what this is. And that's a common theme that I see with a lot of listeners is that they may have had narcissistic parents, they may have had a narcissistic sibling, other narcissistic people in their lives. But at some point, you know, they, they're just right. used to that. At some point, they meet the one, yes, which is the yes. one that cracks them open and almost destroys them. And then they go on this journey and start right. working backwards. And that was certainly what happened for me. And what was interesting right. is I thought with some of them that I know would never show up in a therapist's chair ever. Right. Right. They 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 quote unquote downgrade because they they found you, me, this highly, highly empathetic person right. which was the perfect meal for them I they cracked me open and I called them out so hard on their stuff that they are never going to risk picking another highly 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 empathic person like me again I'm never going to go anyone like them again we both did the same thing except I ran to therapy and they run away and they pick out a checked out person because they aren't going to risk someone like me again does that make sense Yes, yes. And the other thing is, you know, where, where a narcissist does the best is if they get somebody that's kind of in the middle that's, you know, mm -hmm. has empathy, but also can like look at the person like they, you know, so many of my clients, you know, all they have to do is like look at their mother-in-law or father-in-law and then they're like, okay, I get where my husband gets it. <laughs> this is, and if they can kind of, you know, see the, see the injuries and, and see the, but it depends on, you know, how much damage the person's yeah. doing to them. You know, but if somebody can like set limits, like with love, you know, if they're not getting, you know, completely eaten alive, um, yeah. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes it's just they, they just, you know, there's just not a lot of room in the relationship for their feelings or their perspective, or you know, or they can't, you know, confront the person very much because the person gets too 
way too defensive or, um, you know, sometimes there's, you know, this helps me realize too, that the one that cracked me open definitely had to have been a sociopath or a psychopath because he literally looked for ways he got pleasure out of playing a chess game with people and how he yes. could absolutely violently damage their self-esteem and he yes. loved it and he loved to talk about it. So that helps too with me realizing and that's, that's just what I was dealing with. Dangerous. Yeah. And that to me, you know, I just tell people like, you just have to run and I mean, run quickly because people like that, that they say that they just feel a chronic sense of emptiness. And the only time they feel joy is when they're inflicting emotional yes. or physical pain. The world's a game to them, you know, and um, I worked at a drug treatment center once and a boy, you know, they, they just play with the, th- they just, they don't take in anything where, you know, you'll see like narcissists, they'll cry, they'll, 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 they'll shame, you know, I'll have men in my office just like sobbing, you know, their guts out because like, you know, a lot of times they're a sex addict and they've gotten caught and because they, you know, right. same attachment issues that go into making a narcissist can, you know, make like sex addiction and, you know, uh, but like a sociopath, they're never going to cry. They're not going to show any weakness or any vulnerability to the therapist um, at all or anyone, but yeah, no, that's just plain dangerous. I mean, I, I just tell people like, just mm. run, change your name and number, you know, as fast as you. I did. I left the state and I won't go back in it. I don't go back to the town where I know that he is. And boy, does he have a bunch of psychophants um, surrounding him and they do a lot of his uh. dirty work. We call those, you know, the flying monkeys, but it's yeah, that helps a lot. It really helps. Oh, a lot. I'm so very sorry that that happened to you because very few mm-hmm. sociopaths ever changed. I mean, right? I mean, oh yeah, that's oh, a scary thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. When you see yeah. someone laugh about like, oh, there's so many things I've already said on shows. I won't repeat because listeners have heard it. But oh, just just the the that's the horrifying in someone's eyes as they describe how they've emotionally just tortured someone and that and it's not just a one time oh they're having a bad day or they're in a bad place or it's their addiction no this is just what they have been doing their whole life that's a whole other level yeah that's a totally different character disorder and that's what's really good to differentiate because yeah that's totally like a narcissist would never brag about hurting someone what they would do is say like i didn't mean to it wasn't like my fault i didn't mean you know like they would be shaming out they would just be like like okay so like she started crying but i don't you know i I wasn't trying to say this i was trying to i was just trying to tell her what my intentions were i was trying to like you know i wasn't trying to be defensive you know but you just see this defensiveness massive defensiveness but not at all any enjoyment that narcissists hate to make mistakes so it's kind of good once once you confront a narcissist, like you can, that they'll try as hard as they can to not make the mistake again. You know, if they continue to make the mistake, it's part of their character disorder. I keep telling this mm-hmm. one wife that I'm working with, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I see the changes in your husband. I know you're not seeing it yet. I know my husband didn't see it, it for me, you know, in me for, for some time, but like, you don't see like, you know, that, that um, glee, that yeah, absolute uh, ever. pleasure center of the brain being lit up because they're excited that right. they just, yeah. Hurt you. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow, wow, wow. Oh. Well, this is Yeah, so, that's a sociopath. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now I know who I really have your And I would never work to. with them. Like, that's a totally different line. I want to make that clear to anybody on the air. Do not come to me or send anybody to me that it's like <laughs> that. I do not work with them. And... 
like never have, never will. I mean, just like yikes. It's a totally different thing. A whole other animal, yeah. Absolutely. Tell our listeners where they can find the book and a website and find out more information about you. Okay, so that that you might be a narcissist if is the name of our book, and it's it's uh, how to identify narcissism in ourselves and others and what we can do about it. It's available at um, www.youmightbeanarcissistif.com or on uh, Amazon, um, and then also the book just came out in an um, audio book, and it's available on Audible, Amazon, and iTunes. Mm, fantastic. Paul, thanks so much for thinking of this and bringing this amazing guest and person on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so delighted that, uh, that we did this because uh, it's one thing to talk about uh, narcissism. And, uh, uh, you know, even though we talk about some of our own and things like that, but for somebody uh, like Lisa to be able to share experiences yeah. both as a therapist and as somebody that has recovered from uh, a, a more extreme uh, degree of it. Then it's just right from the inside out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, a lot of aspects. Well, wonderful listeners. Thanks for tuning into this one and uh, another excellent, excellent show. I certainly learned a lot. Thank goodness. Um, on this roundtable discussion with Dr. Paul Meyer, and we will catch you, our listening family, next time. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.